we've been looking at the writings of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, specifically verses 10 through 13. These are, are very powerful verses that speak to us about spiritual warfare. More spe specifically, these verses tell us who our enemy isn't, who our enemy is, what we are called to do, and how we are to go about doing it, which is a lot for three short verses, four short verses. In these verses, Paul reminds us that we are in a fight for our lives against a relentless and powerful enemy, the devil. If we don't believe that he is relentless, if we don't believe he is powerful and ruthless, then we are absolutely setting ourselves up for defeat. One of the worst things you can do is underestimate your enemy. He doesn't give up. He doesn't take days off. He is good at what he does because, after all, he's been doing it for thousands of years. He wants to devour our families, destroy our testimonies, devastate our churches. And I will tell you, he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't play fair. The only thing he is interested in is leaving a trail of devastation behind him. That's what he does. John, 1 John 4.4 4 tells us that the God we serve is all-powerful because as John wrote, the one who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. That means we have already won. We've won the victory. Jesus Christ won the victory. What we're doing now is fighting battles daily. Remember, this is an image. What Paul, Paul is writing here, it's an image of, of an image of a soldier getting ready to go into battle and he's standing there with all of these various pieces of armor scattered at his feet, but he has to choose to put them on if he wants to be victorious. And in the spiritual, it's, it's the same way for us. The pieces are there. All the things we need to be victorious spiritually, all of those things are there. They are ours, and they will assure victory, but in order to be victorious, we too have to use those things we've been provided. Armor does no good in the armory. It does no good until it's actually being used. But this armor, if worn, if it is used properly, it will enable us to stand against the daily assaults that come our way from the enemy. So with that, I want to go to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read, chapter, read verse 13 and the first half of verse 14. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the first part of the spiritual army that Paul, the spiritual armor that Paul wrote about was the belt of truth. As I read through these, and I've read through this, I've heard teach, taught about, preached on all my life about the armor of God. And as I was reading through this once again, I thought it was a bit strange that Paul would start out with a belt. After all, it's a belt. And my thinking was, why not start with something really cool like a big sword or a really cool shield? But the more I read about this belt, the more it made sense to me. And here's why. In doing some research, I found various versions of what a Roman soldier's belt probably looked like. But most likely, it probably looked similar to these that you're seeing up on the screen. It was a thick and sturdy leather belt. 
And much of the rest of the soldier's armor was connected to or was held in place by this belt. So I realized at that point, it wasn't just a belt, it was a useful belt. And while that's pretty cool, I still wondered why Paul, with all the other really cool pieces of armor to choose from, started with a belt. So I did some more searching, I did some more reading, and then once I understood what this belt actually did, I realized Paul listed it first because he wanted us to see that this belt, this belt of truth, was possibly the most important piece of armor that a soldier could wear into battle. And when we really understand the purpose of this belt, what it did for the soldier, then we start to understand the importance of this belt of truth spiritually. But it's just a belt. How can it be so important? Let's look at some history of first century warfare that might help us better understand that. The standard garment for a first century Roman soldier was a loose-fitting tunic. Sorry for the picture. <laughs> Typically, a Roman soldier's tunic ranged from nothing more than a large square piece of cloth with a hole cut in it for your head to go through, or two pieces of cloth that were stitched together with a hole for your head to go through and places for your arms to stick out. Outside of battle, this tunic was worn loose, allowing it just to drape down over your body, because that was no big deal. But while this tunic was nothing special, it served a purpose in everyday life. But when it came to battle, that same tunic could prove itself to be very dangerous for a soldier. Since most combat in that day was hand-to-hand, -hand, a loose tunic actually provided the, easy, the enemy an easy handhold. In other words, it's just a floppy big piece of cloth, and if you're fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat, the enemy could grab your tunic and hold you in place and beat you. So it was important that it didn't just flop around. And because of that, that could mean death. So it was important for this tunic to be, to be secured when you went into battle. Another reason for a soldier securing their tunic was if it was left loose, it could, free, it could hinder their freedom of movement. So before the battle began, the soldier would carefully gather up this tunic around his body and hold it in place with this heavy leather belt. And tucking away this, this otherwise loose-fitting tunic is what's translated in the King James as girding up your loins. In other words, instead of this big floppy thing that he wore, now all of a sudden it's, it's girded about, it's tightened up, there's a belt around it, and now it's harder to grab hold of by the enemy. Also, you don't have to worry so much about tripping over it. You don't have to worry about reaching for something. It was a way of saying, saying, gird up your loins was a way of saying, get prepared and stay prepared. So in essence, what Paul was saying in Ephesians 6.14 was stand firm, get the armor in place, and then keep it all in place with this belt of truth around your waist. The belt also had some other purposes for a soldier beyond just holding a tunic in place so the enemy couldn't grab it away from him and, and keep him from tripping over it. It also held the breastplate in place. They had a, a metal breastplate, most sometimes metal, sometimes leather, but it was a breastplate that covered from here to here. This breastplate was secured to the belt, and it kept this breastplate from just banging against the soldier's chest. The belt also had a sheath for a sword. 
So if a, if a soldier got rid of the belt, it would not only leave him vulnerable to being grabbed by the enemy or tripping over his tunic, it would mean that his breastplate would not be secure. It could be moved around, which could allow for an arrow to pierce his upper torso. And of course, without a belt, your sword would drop to the ground, leaving you totally defenseless. In short, without the belt, a soldier wouldn't be much good in battle and would probably die. So we see that this belt really was that important. So that's the importance of a belt to a Roman soldier. And as interesting or cool as that might be, what does that mean to us in a spiritual sense? And what, how did Paul relate this belt to truth? Since we are in a spiritual battle against our enemy, the devil, <clears throat> and we're fighting this battle using the spiritual armor that God has provide us, provided for us, then first and foremost, we must make sure that everything we do is connected to truth. Not my version of truth, not your version of truth, but truth that's found in the Word of God. Just as a Roman soldier's belt held everything in place so he could win the battle he fought, so it is with the truth that Paul wrote about. Truth holds all we do in place. And without truth, we are certain to lose the battle. Remember, one of the purposes of the Roman soldier's belt was to get the tunic out of the way so it didn't hinder his movement. And truth for us as Christians, when we're engaged in spiritual warfare is used to get things out of the way that would hinder us spiritually. Truth frees us up from the things that would take hold of us, the things in life that grab hold of us and drag us down and distract us from the battle that we're in and cause us to trip and fall spiritually. That's what truth does. So having our belt buckled around our waist is also a call for us to be ready at all times for whatever we are called to do. If you go back all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus 12, 11, God had instructed the children of Israel to, to, leave is, to leave Egypt, and he gave them instructions concerning the Passover. He told them, he said, eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt. Sound familiar? Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. They were to be girded up so that when it was time to go, they were ready to go. And as it was for them, as it was for the Roman soldier, as it is for us today, it is telling us not to just be ready, but to stay ready. In his teaching, Jesus told the people to be ready to go as well. Luke 12, 35, he said, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Loins girded about, it could be translated again as tightening up your belt. Once again, carrying with it the idea that we have to be ready for service, prepared to fight spiritual battles at all times as we look forward to the coming of the Lord. Look how Peter said it in 1 Peter 1.13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that it, that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means we keep our minds on the things that matter. We stay alert. We stay focused on the truth. And we don't let all the things outside distract us. Because if we get distracted in battle, we will die. 
And before you say, well, pastor, that's no problem. I'd never be distracted. Let me tell you something. The devil is not only good at deceiving, he is really good at distracting. If he can distract us and get us to take off the belt of truth, feeling like we really don't really need it right now and there's nothing going on, he has created a vulnerable spot in which to attack us. Paul said that the belt we wear in our spiritual battle is a belt of truth. Specifically use the word truth. So the logical question at this point would be, what is truth? The, the long answer to that is a sermon all by itself. So we're going to go with the short answer. Truth, as defined, as Paul defined it in several places, included the accurate information regarding God and the good news of Jesus Christ. The accurate information regarding God and the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of these things that binds or holds together everything else we believe. All of the other things that we consider doctrine and beliefs and our faith, all of these things are held together by accurate information regarding God and the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of who God is, the truth of who Jesus is, and the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that holds everything else together. Here's what Bible commentator Adam Clark wrote concerning this. And Adam Clark lived a long time ago, so his wording's going to sound a little bit strange, but he wrote some truth here. Listen to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth of God. Unless this be known and conscientiously, conscientiously believed, no man can enter the spiritual warfare with any advantage or prospect of success. By this alone, we discover who our enemies are and how they come on to attack us. And by this, we know where our strengths lie and as the truth is great and must prevail. We are to gird ourselves with this against all false religion and the various winds of doctrine by which cunning men and insidious devils lie in wait to deceive. End of quote. The devil is a deceiver. And here's what I want us to realize today. If we don't know what the truth is, how can we recognize deception? If we don't believe and understand that, that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is the very foundation of our beliefs, then we have no truth on which to stand. And as a result, we will be deceived and blown about by every deceptive doctrine that comes along. Paul felt so strongly about this, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I can't talk about anything else, if I don't have a chance to tell you about anything else, if I don't remember anything else, the one thing that I will hold on to is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's truth. It's foundational. And we need to hold on to truth. In much the same way that the Roman soldier's armor was of no use without the belt. If we don't have truth, truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, all of the other pieces of the armor become useless as well. Without truth, we are destined to be defeated. And I have to believe this is why. All of the pieces, all of the places that Paul could, could have started 
in his description of the full armor of God, this is why he started with the belt of truth, because it was just that important. The word truth can also refer to the content of that which is true. The content of that which is true. If we are to stand in the day of evil, when that day comes, which is the days that we are living in now, as Paul wrote in, in verse 13 of, of Ephesians chapter 6, then we must stand in truth, not in false doctrine, not in man-made religion, not in organized religion or, or man-made legalism or somebody else's opinion. We must stand in truth. If we are going to stand, we will only stand if we stand in the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. As the old song says, on Christ the solid rock I'll stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If we want to be victorious, we will surround ourselves with truth. We will put on truth and we will leave it on. Without truth, we are easily tripped up by Satan's lies. After all, if we don't know what truth is, how do we know a lie when we hear it? Lies, no matter how big or small, are the things that destroy lives. They destroy relationships, churches, futures. And remember, it was one little lie that Satan used in the Garden of Eden to destroy the future of all mankind. One lie. So truth is vital to spiritual survival. We cannot afford to have areas of deception in our lives, and just it is as with that physical belt, we can't afford to have broken truth. We can't afford to have a version of truth with weaknesses. Truth like a belt to be effective must be able to completely surround you, front, back, left, and right, and must be strong enough to hold everything together. Holding on to weak truth or a weak version of truth, holding on to something that does not match up with the Word of God is certain failure. When Paul speaks of having on the belt of truth, he's referring to a couple of specific areas of truth. Look at these. First of all, there's the truth that's found in the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Without a working knowledge of the truths of the Scripture, we as children of God are easy prey for the enemy. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. In this passage, Paul is talking about the importance of holding on to truth. More specifically, holding on to the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of who Jesus Christ really is. Paul knew that if we have this knowledge, this truth, and we hold on to it, we would no longer be spiritual infants. But instead, we would become mature in our faith. Paul knew this was vital. And here's why he knew it was vital. Because when we become mature in our faith, mature in this truth, we will no longer be blown about by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness in deceitful teaching, scheming. 
When we know the truth, then we recognize lies. If we don't study our Bible, if we don't know what it says, if we don't spend time in the Word, and we hear somebody preaching a message, do we just believe it because they said it? But I can tell you this, if we don't study on our own, how will we know what is true? God has given us his word. He has given us pastors and preachers and teachers to explain it to us, all because he wants us to know his truth. And that's so we will know the devil's lies. And as a result, we will be able to stand in that evil day. Without the truth of God, found through the word of God, we as children of God have no foundation on which to stand. Let me say that again. Without the truth of God, found through the word of God, we as children of God have no foundation on which to stand. And without a foundation of truth, we are easily led astray and we will eventually fall. The only way to combat error and deception is with truth. It is the devil's desire to defeat us, to destroy us, to distract us, and he does this by peddling lies to us. Just like he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, Jesus in the wilderness, Satan is still trying to alter what the Word of God says. He twisted it to Eve. He tried to twist it to Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, the devil tried to do it to him. He wants to twist the Word of God just enough to mislead people into thinking that it means something other than what it means, and as a result, causing them to fall. The devil wants us to ignore the truth that God gives us. He wants us to embrace his lies that are designed to lead us away from the Lord. Again, let me say, the only way to combat truth and deception is with truth. And the only way to know the truth is to be exposed to it. Another logical question at this point would be, well, where do we find this truth? I will tell you that we find the truth, the real truth, only in the Word of God, the Bible. But to be able to use that in our day-to-day -day spiritual battles, we have to know and understand what it says and what it means. You say, well, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. I don't understand the language. I don't understand what they're saying. I will tell you this. If you have a phone or an iPad or a tablet or a computer, or whatever you have, electronic device, there are several Bible apps that will have 75 different translations. Find one you understand. Compare it against another one. When I'm studying for, for Bible study or for a sermon, sometimes I will read six or eight different translations because the first one I read, I didn't really get it. Oh, you're a pastor. No, I really didn't get it. And I went, I read that, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. And then I find another translation, I go, well, that makes sense. That's starting to make sense. And then I keep reading, I keep reading, and finally there's that light bulb over my head like in a cartoon, and I go, ah, that's what it means. That's what studying the Word of God is. 
is keep digging into it and digging into it until God shows you what it means. Because if all we do is just read it, it doesn't mean anything. I read stuff all the time. And if you ask me 10, 10 minutes later what I read, I'm not sure. Something about, I don't know, airplanes or cars. Because it didn't mean anything to me. But if it's something that I dug into and I studied it and I looked into it with intense depth, then if you ask me, what did you just read? Be prepared. Because I'm going to tell you all about it. And that's the way it should be with the Word of God. We dig into it to a place where we understand it. It's in us. It's a part of us. The Bible is truth. The Bible is reliable. It is accurate. It is to be read. It is to be believed. There are people, sadly, in our day who claim to be men of God and say the Bible is, it's not infallible. You can't really believe everything you read in the Bible. You, you can't take the Bible literally as absolute truth. In response to that, I would have to say this. If there is no absolute truth, can there be any truth? If there is no absolute truth, can there be any truth? Truth is not subjective. It's not something that we get to have our own version of. As I said before, we're all entitled to our own opinions, but we are not entitled to our own truth. So truth is not subjective. It is not relative. In other words, we can't say, well, you know, I, I might not be doing what the Bible says, but in relation to that guy over there, whoo, I'm in great shape. Well, guess what? When we stand before the Lord, he, you're not going to be measured by that guy over there. You're going to be measured by the Word of God. So forget that guy over there when it comes to comparing yourself. If we want to compare ourselves to something, compare ourselves to what the Word of God says. Truth is absolute. Either we believe the Bible, all of it. Hold on to your chair, man. Either we believe the Bible, all of it, or we throw it out, all of it. Second Timothy 3.16 and 3.17 in the New Living Translation says it like this. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true, there's that word, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Isn't that amazing how truth and pointing out what's wrong in our lives kind of are connected there? It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's a New Living Translation. If, if you're struggling with finding a, a passage of Scripture, understanding a passage of Scripture, I would highly recommend this one in a lot of cases. It is very easy to understand. I find myself using it more and more. That's a whole sidebar there. Those who don't believe this to be true will eventually find themselves as casualties in this spiritual warfare that's going on around us. That the Bible really is there to prepare us for what we're facing. Paul saw it happening. He saw that people were falling away. He knew that this would happen, and he wrote about it in 1 Timothy 4.1. He said this, 
Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. It was happening in Paul's day, so we shouldn't be surprised if it happens today. But how do we stop it from happening? We hold on to truth. Not my truth, not my opinions, but truth found in the Word of God. The Bible is truth. But if we don't read it, we don't study it, if we don't learn what it says, we do not and cannot possess the truth that's found in the Word of God. The Bible teaches us all we need to know about life and death, all we need to know about heaven and hell, God and Satan, sin and salvation. But we can't rely on the pastor to tell us everything that the Bible says. We have to read it, study it for ourselves. If we could grasp the reality of truth and grasp that it is vitally and vital to our survival, and that the Bible is filled with truth, I believe we would find us spending a lot more time in the Word of God than what we might currently be spending. So if we don't spend time in the Word of God, it probably means we really don't believe we need it, which would translate to, I can fight this battle on my own. And we know that just isn't true. Or it could mean that we don't even believe that there's a battle going on. Which, if that is the case, it means that we're an easy target for a powerful enemy. The Bible serves a lot of different purposes in the lives of Christians, and one of those is to reveal to us our condition before God. Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23 tells us that none of us on our own are righteous, that all of us have sinned. That's what the Bible says. John 3.16 reveals God's solution to the problem that Jesus gave his one and only son, or that God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, many other places, lets us know that salvation is through grace. It is a gift, and there is nothing that any of us can do to earn it or buy it or get it. John 14, 1 through 3 tells us as believers what our final destination is. As believers, it's heaven. The Bible is a book to be read, believed, and obeyed. And those who do these things and heed to what it says will be led into a life and spend eternity in heaven. And those who don't will not. If we have access to a Bible, whether it's a physical book or an app on an electronic device, we should praise God. And every day we should do our best to soak in the truth that it contains. We need to let the Word of God speak to our lives. We need to let it feed our souls, guide our steps, and lead us to Christ. That's the purpose of the Word of God. The Bible is truth, and in its pages are life everlasting. Make the Bible your foundation and stand on that firm foundation. I believe this is why Paul, with all the other pieces of armor of God that he could have written about first, I believe this is why he chose truth. Because it is inherently connected to so many of the other pieces of the armor. In addition to truth meaning the content of that which is true, 
It also refers to the very attitude of truthfulness. This thought seems to to get to the heart of what Paul is teaching here. In this context, it speaks of an attitude of commitment and preparedness. This attitude is a primary characteristic of a true believer. It is the attitude of one who serves God out of sincerity. And not because they're forced into it or out of hypocrisy, but because we really want to live for God. For true believers, shabby, sloppy service is not tolerated. Instead, they gather up the loose clothing of their lives and they bind it with total commitment to the will of the Lord. And then because of that, they are able to stand. As it was in Paul's day, there are too many people in our day as well who allow the loose folds of life to blow around them and hinder them in their walk with God. Like the ancient soldiers whose loose tunic would cause them to trip and fall or would allow the enemy to easily grab them and pull them down in battle, far too many believers in our day allow the cares of life to enfold their life, their habits, their cares, their interests, entangle them and prevent them from faithfully serving God as they should. Instead, serving God has become something they do when there's just nothing else to do. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who have at best made a half-hearted commitment to live for Christ. And in a battle for our spiritual lives, a half-hearted commitment is no commitment at all. There is no such thing as a part-time Christian. Living for Christ is a full-time commitment. And a true Christian will secure themselves with truth and be willing to let go of the things of the world that would cause them to get tangled in those things that would distract and destroy them. Well, pastor, that doesn't sound like very much fun. No one ever said war was fun. But be assured... If we don't take this battle, we fight with the devil every day. If we don't take it seriously, we'll be defeated and we'll be destroyed. Now, let me just clarify something here. It doesn't mean we walk around all the time looking like we just got punched in the face. That's not what this means. No, it means that we must recognize that the battle is real and that we are in it. And not only are we in it, when we are girded about with the full armor of God, we will be victorious. But in order to be victorious, we have to hold on to truth. You say, well, I just can't see people not holding on to truth. Go back through history. Read about Jim Jones, who at one time was a Pentecostal preacher. And eventually he led 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to drink poison and kill themselves because they lost sight of truth. And they believed a lie. If they would have just looked at some point, looked at the word of God and said, what he's saying, it doesn't line up with what this says. And I will tell you, if I ever stand on this platform, if I stand anywhere in this building and speak something and you look it up in the word of God and say, that doesn't match up with the word of God, then you come to me and we'll talk about it. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you I'm wrong. Because I never want to say something from this pulpit that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Those who have the belt of truth buckled around them. Those who are true, committed believers will prepare for the battle that they're in. And as a result, they will make a stand in their stand for living for God. When we have done and are doing that, when we have everything held in place by truth, it means that then we are walking with the Lord in total commitment and discipline. A committed Christian is ready for battle. Not because they're so strong themselves, but because they've set their heart on the Lord in total commitment. We cannot fight this battle on our own. We will lose. If you go out and just say, I'm going to take on the devil today, you better make sure you've got the belt of truth and the whole armor of God on, or you're going to get whipped. The Bible says, greater is the one who lives in us than he that's in the world. It does not say, I'm greater than the one that lives in the world. I'm just a guy. But with the Holy Spirit living in me, I am victorious. On my own, I'm a complete failure. A committed Christian will walk true in their profession of faith. They're disciplined in their walk. And when we do that, the enemy cannot easily trap us or defeat us. Why? Because we have the truth. And when we have the truth, we will not fall for the deception of the devil. But if we try to fight the devil on our own, or fight the devil with our own personal version of truth, we have already been deceived and we will be defeated. Think about the kind of commitment that and discipline that athletes show. The Olympics have been going on now for a while. Think about that. Athletes train and they work. They endure pain, suffering, and deprivation, all for the hopes of winning a medal or a trophy. And even with all the sacrifice, there is no guarantee they'll win because they still have to go out there and compete against everybody else. We as Christians are fighting something far greater, way greater, and we are fighting for a prize that is much greater than a perishable trophy or a medal. But unlike an athlete, here's the great part. 
We're guaranteed to win. We are guaranteed to win if we are obedient to the word of God and if we go to battle with the armor that's been provided. But we must hold on to truth because once we have lost truth, all of the other pieces of the armor will not be effective. We are fighting this battle for the glory of God. And we are to stand for him in this battle because it is his will for our lives. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into a strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Forever. If an athlete can give everything just for the hope of winning a perishable prize, how much more should we, the redeemed of God, be willing to sacrifice? To have the belt buckled around us, this belt of truth buckled around us, is to be renewed in our mind and to be absolutely committed to God's will for our lives. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It is to be that living sacrifice that Paul wrote about in Romans 12.1. To have the belt of truth around us means that we embrace the truth as it is revealed in the Word of God. And then it means we live out that truth in our lives every day. And truth means that we are real. Not just in word, but in deed. And if we as a church do not stand on the truth, guard the truth, and wear the truth as a belt, we cannot have a credible witness to those who are unsaved. When we have the belt of truth buckled around us, we will have taken up the first essential piece of the whole armor of God. It means that we will be true in our profession of Jesus Christ. Our profession of faith of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We won't just say it. We will be enabled to live for the Lord every day. There is joy in living for the Lord. But because this is war, and because we are living in a world that hates God and His truth, it can be painful as well. But a life of truth, a life that bears a faithful witness to the life-changing power of the Word of God, to the life-changing power of the gospel, will bring great glory to the name of the Lord. And I will tell you today, I am determined more than ever. How about you? Would you stand? No matter where we feel like we might be in our walk with God, 
no matter where we might be in, in our understanding of truth and holding on to truth and all the things that go along with that. We still need to search our lives and say, God, is there something in my life that shouldn't be there? And if there is, help me to get rid of it and help me replace that with truth as found in your word. Replace the things that shouldn't be there with the things that should be there. Today, a great place to start is right here. This altar is open. If you've never made a start to live for the Lord, today's a good day. If you made a start a long time ago and you would just like to come and renew that, that faith, renew that, that whatever it is that you might be missing and ask the Lord to search your life and to fill you with his spirit, today is the day to do that. Don't wait. Don't put it off. As they sing this morning, would you come?